I started preaching at Libby Christian Church in January of 2003. Over the course of those nearly 15 years, I have worked really hard to not duplicate illustrations, not to share with you the same thing over and over and over again. And I think I've done a pretty good job of that, although from time to time I have had to pull out an illustration and reuse it. This morning, I want to show you a short little video that we actually showed about a year ago. Now, when we showed it to you, our purpose then was just to make you smile. That's the only reason that we showed it. This morning, it is tied to the message. I still hope it'll make you smile, but then we'll tie it together. Watch this, would you? Preachers got a place in the choir. Some sing low and some sing higher. Some sing out loud on a telephone wire. Some just clap their hands, a pause, or anything they got. Now, all those preachers got a place in the choir. Some sing low and some sing higher. Some sing out loud on a telephone wire. Some just clap their hands, a pause, or anything they got. Now, It's a one on the bottom where the bullfrog croaks And the hippopotamus moans and groans with the big to do And the old cow just goes moo All those creatures got a place in the choir Some sing low and some sing higher Some sing out loud on the telephone wire Some just clap their hands or paws Or anything they got now just a fun song. It really is just a fun song. That's the Irish group Celtic Thunder. They're coming to Spokane in November if you want to go and see them. Now here's the reason that I share that with you. Not just to make you smile and not just because it's a fun song, but because it does a spectacular job of illustrating this passage of scripture. 
Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read four verses this morning. We've been in a study of this chapter for several weeks. We have several more to go. Romans chapter 12, picking up in verse 4. Now listen to this in light of what you just heard. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, we could very easily paraphrase those four verses this way. All God's children have a place in his choir. That's really what Paul is teaching. All of God's children have a place in the kingdom of God. The Lord designed it to be that way. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we really get into it, I want to make sure that you realize that the four verses we just read do an exemplary job of answering some of life's deepest questions. At least four of them, and I would offer five. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you were to study, and you can do this on your own, you can start looking up lists of life's most important questions, and you will find them as varied as the, the sand on a seashore. Some of them are very long, some of them are very short, but almost every one of those lists contain these four questions. Number one, this one is on every list I have ever seen. Who am I? One of the most intriguing, important, and confusing questions that many people wrestle with, not only in the United States of America, but globally. Who am I? And that leads its way to question number two. Why am I here? That follows very quickly, very easily. When we are wrestling with who we are, then we start to wrestle with our purpose. What is my purpose in this world? Number three is a little more interesting. What do I want my last words to be? A lot of people wrestle with that as they look at things like legacy. What am I going to leave behind? What are the last words that I want people to hold on to when my life here is done? And then number four, how can I be happy? Again, that's a universal question that doesn't belong just to people in our country or in our culture or society. It crosses all kinds of barriers. How can I be happy? Now, this fifth question is a little bit different, and this is the one that I believe is answered very specifically by Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Here's the question. What is the difference between existing and living? Now, a lot of people do wrestle with that question. They may not word it just like that, but they wrestle with that question, feeling like all they're doing is surviving day to day. All I'm doing is existing, and is that really living? Is that why I was put here? Is that why I was created? Was I placed on this earth for nothing more than just getting by day to day? Well, until we answer the questions that come out of Romans chapter 12, we will continue to wrestle with things like that. But when we get to the heart of what Paul is teaching in this passage, we will begin to understand what it means to really live, not just exist. Now, this question... What is the difference between existing and living? 
It's been around for a long time. I want you to think about the people that would normally ask this. This is, this is predominantly voiced by people that live solely for themselves. They live a narcissistic life. They live a hedonistic life. And then eventually they realize the hollowness and the emptiness of that type of a lifestyle. And then they'll, they'll say that I tried to fill up all of that emptiness with a number of different things. I tried it by partying harder. I tried it by changing jobs. I tried it through buying a new house. I tried it through getting a new wife or a new husband. I tried it by getting a new life or changing geography and moving to a new place and, and living a brand new way. But every time I found myself still hollow and empty and wanting, all I was doing was existing. I wasn't truly living. And like I said, that's been going on for a long time. People have wrestled with this issue all the way back to the beginning of time, 6,000 years ago. And it's not just the people that we would normally expect that wrestle with this. Even the wisest man to ever live, Solomon, wrestled with this issue. Listen to how he writes in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Solomon was looking for something deeper in his life, and he arrived at one point at this conclusion. There's nothing better than to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in your work. If you're doing those three things, you got it. But at the end of the day, what you have to realize, and he did, is that that's just existing. That's not living. Solomon himself would go on to say in just one more chapter that uh, that's just vanity. All that is, is existing. By the end of his book, he would have a deeper insight when he says things like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter. These are the final words, if you will. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. At the end of the day, this is it. Fear God and keep his commandments. Again, that's the wisest man, the wealthiest man that ever lived. After he battled through all the vanities of life, that's what he would boil it down to. Fear God and keep his commandments. There are other places in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, that capture that exact same idea. The prophet Micah would write it this way in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now that was his way of saying, this is the end of the matter. Fear God, and keep his commandments. Now Solomon and Micah both have great insight. That's very important. If we are going to find our place in the choir, it begins right there. Fear God, and keep his commandments. But my friends, that is Old Testament existence. That's what that really is. That's really just an understanding that gets us from one day to the next. That's Old Testament existence. And it was all they had. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, and because of Jesus, things changed. The Lord had a different plan. He didn't just want us to experience Old Testament existence. He wanted us to experience something more. In fact, this is what Jesus himself would say about this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I want more for you than just existing. I want you to have life. And I want you to have more than just life. I want you to have it abundantly. And we all know, all you have to do is go through life to understand this, but you can also study the Bible to get your head around it if you need to. Having an abundant life is not measured by possessions or by money or bank accounts or by wealth. Having an abundant life, living an abundant life means finding purpose. It means finding a place. It means finding definition for who we are and realizing something bigger than ourselves. That's abundant life. And Jesus said, I came that you might experience that. And he gave us two wonderful expressions of that. One is corporate. That's the church. When we get involved in the church, we have found a place where we can actually experience the abundant life. Because from the very beginning, God's design for his church, what he would refer to as his bride, was that this would be an expression of his love. Corporately, when everybody comes together within the church, God said, I want people to see me through that. That's how I want people until I come back again to see me with skin on through my church. And it was so important to him that he would say that the church is his bride. That's the relationship that he has with the whole church. Not just one specific church, but the whole church. And in order for the church to work, we have to experience an individual expression of God's goodness. That comes through what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12. Spiritual gifts. Those are individual. The church as a whole is a corporate expression. But the church as a whole as a corporate expression of God's love only works when individuals understand the giftedness that God has given us and we find our place in the choir. We find our place in the kingdom, and we serve there. Without that, the church is not all that it should be. The kingdom of God is not advancing as God intended it to be because his intention, his design, was that we would all come together to make something beautiful and bigger than ourselves. But we all have to find our place in the choir. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. That's what those four verses that we just read are detailing. Now, there are a couple of major places in the New Testament that speak of spiritual gifts. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That is far and away the longest discourse in all of the Bible on spiritual giftedness. The second most significant place in all the Bible where we study spiritual gifts is in Romans chapter 12, the four verses that we just read. That is the second longest and second most significant place in all the Bible to study this issue. There are two other places, but at best, they are minor references. One is in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and then the fourth one is in the book of 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. In each of those books, in each of those chapters, there is one verse given to the issue of spiritual giftedness. So if you want to study this idea, if you want to find your place in the choir, you don't have to bounce all through the Bible. It's that simple. There are the four chapters that you can dig into as you try to discover what God has placed within you. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the longest and most detailed portion of the Bible given over to this issue. 
And it is one of the most significant and important ones for us to get into. We're not going to do that today. I want to encourage you to do it on your own. We don't have enough time to do that today. There are classes that we teach on discovering your spiritual giftedness throughout the course of the year. Come and join us for those classes. We pick that passage apart pretty detailed, actually, when we do, and we provide some tools for helping discover spiritual giftedness within 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But when you decide to study it, what you will find very quickly is that the spiritual gifts are broken into three different categories. And we see it a little bit in Romans chapter 12, but it really becomes evident in 1 Corinthians. Here are the three categories so that you can see them for yourself. Number one, there are signs. Number two, speaking. And number three, serving. And I want us to take just a really, really high look at both. This is kind of a 30,000-foot view. Starting with the sign gifts. These are highly controversial in the church, and they have been for a long time. They have been hotly debated over and over and over again, and sadly enough, they have led to a lot of divisions. The sign gifts, the miraculous gifts, the gifts of wonder have caused people to separate in worship, and it has caused a lot of angst in the church, and it shouldn't be that way. It really shouldn't. They are experiential gifts, and some people have certain experiences with these gifts that other people do not have. But the Bible does speak to those gifts. And as we go through them, we can determine what Scripture says about them that we might arrive at our own conclusions. This morning, I want to share with you my study, and it's been a lifetime of studying this issue. This is the conclusion of my own personal study as I have gone through Scripture on the sign gifts. It is not my intention to perpetuate division. And if your conclusion on this issue is different than what I have arrived at, that's all right. We serve the same God, we love the same Lord, and we are saved by the same Jesus. And so this is not a point of division or a test of fellowship. It really isn't. I just want to show you what the Bible has to say about this as I have studied it out. The sign gifts were given during a very specific time in the life of the church for a very specific reason. Now, here's that reason. Prior to the written word of God, nobody had an authority to stand on. Nobody had anything to go back to. And the people that were initially preaching after the ascension of Jesus into heaven were a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, and folks just like that. They were people that didn't have a background in the word of God. Therefore, they didn't have the authority of the word of God or even a long-time relationship with God to authenticate what they were preaching. All they had was what the Lord was giving them and people were just supposed to trust them. Well, that was tough. Because you can imagine if a group of fishermen were trying to tell you that you should allow Jesus Christ to transform your life because he's the Messiah that the Jews had been speaking about all these years, you might look at them and say, and how do you know that? And why are we supposed to trust you? And maybe you could trust the fishermen, but just imagine with me for a minute that Matthew, the tax collector, came to you and he brought that type of a message. When was the last time you thought to yourself, gosh, I would love to sit down and have a deep, intimate, personal, spiritual conversation with an IRS auditor? (laughs) My guess is you've probably never done that. So Matthew is trying to preach. He is trying to help put a foundation underneath the word of God. And people are looking at him going, dude, I don't even like you. Why would I want to sit and talk with you? 
So God had to give these people certain things that would help authenticate the message that they were bringing. And scripture shows that to us. Let me take you to it so that you can see it yourself. This is found in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 12. Paul writes, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Now that was a specific passage about the apostles. In Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 2, we read this. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The apostles were having their message authenticated by God. And so the sign gifts were used to do that. Jesus actually told them that's the way it would be. This is found in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them, and listen, confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So those were given to the apostles that they might be able to say, this is the authority by which we preach. We couldn't do this on our own. Look at what God is doing. And then we find ourselves in Romans chapter 12 after 1 Corinthians chapter 12 details those things and the sign gifts aren't mentioned. And then we go to the book of Ephesians and the sign gifts aren't mentioned. And then we go to the book of 1 Peter and the sign gifts aren't mentioned. And there's a natural question as to why. And this is where deeper Bible study is required on this issue. You hang with me as we go through this because we're going to get to the real applicable part of this in just a minute. The book of 1 Corinthians was written in roughly the year 54 AD. It was the first of the books that mentioned spiritual gifts to be written. Roughly four years later, the book of Romans was mentioned, and the sign gifts don't make an appearance. And then several years after that, Ephesians was written, and then 1 Peter. By the time we get to the book of Romans in just four years from what the apostle had to say, the apostle Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Four years later, by the time we get to Romans chapter 12, those gifts have started to fall off the page. Well, why is that? Because those gifts, very much like the period of the judges, were given for a specific period of time. And as time went on, the need for those gifts began to dissipate because people were developing their own faith and their own testimony, and the church was growing, and it was spreading, and it was going to all these different places, and the signs, miracles, and wonders were not needed the way they were at the very beginning. And by the time we get to the last apostle's death in the year 98, 99 AD, when John died after he wrote the book of Revelation, there is no record of those gifts being used as the apostolic age was coming to an end. So then the greater gifts took over the gifts of speaking, and the gifts of serving. And in Romans chapter 12, those are the ones that are rising to the top. Those are the ones that Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, eagerly desire the greater gifts because they're going to help you. Now here's why he would do that. Because the sign gifts 
had they remained, would have continued to have been a stumbling block for faith. Signs have always been a stumbling block for faith. Now this is what Jesus would say about that very issue in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. It's the Holy Spirit living within each one of us. So Jesus was saying, don't hang your hat on sign after sign after sign, because the problem is this, if your faith is tied to signs, then you're always going to want another sign. You're never going to get to a place where you can just trust God without having that exclamation point placed in front of you. So you have to be able to say, my faith has now grown. And that's why the speaking and service gifts are the greater gifts, because they speak directly to faith. Now, like I say, it is not my intention to further any kind of division. And if your experience and your study of the Bible has led you to another place, this is not a test of fellowship and it is nothing that should ever separate It should never separate us. And so we don't have to allow it to do that. But as you study the Bible and you recognize that the plan was for the speaking gifts and service gifts to take over after the period of the signs was no longer necessary, then you can see why they are called something greater. Because they have a a very special place even today. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 12 together. In these four short verses... Paul starts out with what could be a little confusing given all of that. Verse 6, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, prophecy has oftentimes been confused for a sign gift, and here's why. Because early on, the prophets were speaking directly on behalf of God. Because again, there was no written word of God. There was no Bible. There was no way to go back and say, this is what God has consistently said. So the gift of prophecy was a revelatory gift, but then it became a proclamation gift. And by the time we get to Romans chapter 12, it was a proclamation gift given according to faith, not revelation, according to faith. This is what the Lord has taught, and so I am proclaiming that. So it isn't a sign gift, it is a speaking gift, a gift of proclamation. And then the other speaking gifts like teaching and exhorting begin to rise to the top. Exhorting being nothing more than encouraging. I have gifts of encouragement to help build other people up. Gifts of teaching to help people grow deeper in the knowledge of the word. And then there's this gift of prophecy, which is a speaking gift, a proclamation gift, most often tied to the gifts of knowledge and wisdom as people have the opportunity to share the word of God and to teach other people and to proclaim their faith. 
That's how that works. But the service gifts, the service gifts are the best. Because the speaking gifts speak directly to how we love the Lord our God. The service gifts are all about how we love our neighbor. You see how those two come together? One says, this is how I love the Lord my God. And the second says, this is how I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, that's what it's all about. You love God and you love others. And I'm going to give you gifts to accomplish that. And I'm going to bring them together in the church so that we can all come together and make that happen. But one of the biggest questions people have is, if this is all true and we all have gifts given to us once we have received the Lord into our hearts and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within us, if we have these gifts, how do we find them? How do we discover what they are? Like I said a few minutes ago, several times throughout the course of the year, we'll teach on spiritual giftedness, and that's a good way to get started. But there are other things that you can add to that. But the first thing that you have to do is deal with an epidemic within our culture and society. It is the epidemic of self-image and self-esteem issues. Low self-esteem is one of the greatest tools our enemy has to keep us from discovering and using our giftedness. And for those that have struggled with it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have struggled with self-image issues and low self-esteem issues, you know what it means to look at other people in the church and think, gosh, God's sure doing good stuff in them. He could never use me. You know what it's like to look at other people and say, man, the Lord is sure doing something amazing in their life. I wish he would do it in mine, but I'm just not worthy. Now, maybe you're not exactly positive what low self-esteem is or what poor self-image is. Here's a pretty good working definition of it. I found this on a website called dosomethingaboutit.com. Now, I really like the name of that, dosomethingaboutit.com. And they have several things that they actually address on that website, but I love the way they handled the issue of self-esteem. Take a look at this definition. Low self-esteem is a thinking disorder in which an individual views him or herself as inadequate, unlovable, and or incompetent. Once formed, this negative view permeates every thought, producing faulty assumptions and ongoing self-defeating behavior. That's a really good working definition. And as a result of understanding that, then what they would teach on that website, and I tend to agree with them, is if you know you're wrestling with it, do something about it. You have to address it and do something about it. And you might say, if you've been wrestling with those types of issues for a long time, well, I've been trying my whole life. What do I do if I have to try to overcome self-esteem issues? Well, you're talking to a preacher, so I'm going to direct you to the Bible because the Bible speaks directly to this issue. Let's go to the book of Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I love that passage. A lot of people love that passage. How can you not love that passage? That's salvation passage. I love that passage. The problem is we love Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 so much that we stop reading at the end of verse 9. Don't stop reading. Go on to verse 10 because this is a game changer. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are God's 
workmanship. Now, I don't love the way the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible, translates that. There are other translations that I like a lot more because they say things like this. You are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. So listen to it like that. For we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, what I'm about to say could be somewhat shocking, so stay with me through this. And I hope that made you sit up on the edge of your seat and think to yourself, Phil's about to say something really good because he said this could be shocking. So here you go. You take this with you. If you are wrestling with a self-esteem issue, it is an insult to God. There was a low rumble that just went through the room. If you are wrestling with that, it is an insult to God because you are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what's the antidote to that? Find your purpose in the kingdom and start doing it. It really boils down to do something about it.com. Find your purpose and start living within it. Find your place in the choir and become the person that God wanted you to be. Discover your gifts and use them so that the kingdom of God may be whole, that it may be complete. Now, there are three ways that you can do that, three things that can help with this process. Number one, you have to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and start studying what the gifts are. You have to know what they are before you can try to determine what your gifts happen to be. You can talk to me, you can talk to Deanie, we will tell you about the classes when they're coming up. We can get you some tests that can help identify those things. Which, by the way, here's the deal with spiritual gift tests. So if you get one from me or you get one from him, they're not the end all. And here's the way I know that. I have taken a lot of spiritual gift tests. And according to the end result of those spiritual gift tests, I have every gift. <laughs> that is obviously not true. So when I, when I take those tests, I cannot get my mind to a place to answer the questions honestly. I struggle and wrestle with it all the time. So I answer every one of the questions with the answer that I want to have, not the truth, which is part of the reason that I struggled getting through high school and college. So test taking, not my personal best. But you take the test and that's a starting place. And then once you have an idea of what those gifts might be, you start praying. Lord, you help me see this in myself, and you help me see how to use this. So I'm going to discover what the gifts are, and then I'm going to pray that God helps me arrive at the right conclusion for what my gifts are and how I can use them. And then here's the third one. Just get started. Get moving and start using them. Find your place in the choir and bring your voice together, your giftedness together with the church that we might continue to advance the kingdom of God because that was God's design. And in it, you will discover the abundant life that Jesus said he was bringing to the world. You will answer life's biggest questions by discovering your spiritual giftedness and using them and doing what God intended you to do. And all those questions that have plagued you forever begin to fall away. And even self-esteem and self-image issues begin to fall away because you find a purpose much larger than yourself in the kingdom of God, and you're serving there. Anything else keeps the kingdom, keeps the church 
limping along because you're not serving with the gifts that God has given you. You're not using them. So bring them together in the whole. Find your place in the choir and start serving. We have spent a lot of time, the staff and elders have, in the last couple of months looking at our ministry systems, the way that people can serve at Libby Christian Church. Here's what we know as of right now. There are 68 organized ministries in this congregation, at Libby Christian Church. That means that there are roughly 1,000 adult ministry opportunities at Libby Christian Church throughout the course of a year. A thousand different ways to serve. One of those is yours. Two of those might be yours. Three of those might be yours. But a thousand different ways to serve at Libby Christian Church. You heard Josh Erickson, one of our elders last week, say that it takes over 60 people every week to make our services work. 60 different people. We don't have 60 staff members. It takes 60 people that are volunteering, that are serving, that are sold out for the kingdom of God, that have discovered their spiritual giftedness, whether that is in service or whether that is in speaking, whatever that might be, that are coming together to help everything work. So there's a place for you in the choir. You can talk to me or Deanie or Matt or Sharon or Beth or any of our staff members and we can help you discover how to fill one of those spots. In fact, Sharon Brossman is working closely with us now in our ministry systems to help and this is our goal. Find a place for every person in the church to use your giftedness and to serve and to find your place in the choir because it's that important. It's that significant. We want you to find it because it's a game changer in your life and the kingdom is stronger because you're serving the way God created you to. You are his workmanship and you are a masterpiece. All you have to do is say, all right, Lord, pull the cover off and let me see what I'm supposed to do and we'll get out of the way. So really all of this boils down to find your place in the choir and if you have been struggling with that for whatever reason, do something about it and make the changes that are necessary. We can't come to you and say, now here's what you have to do next. You have to say, help me see what to do next. And we'll do it. We'll do it. That's our promise. But you may have to overcome some of your own challenges to get there. And I pray you will. Because the Bible is very pointed about this. And what's taught here is incredibly significant. So get into it. Study it. And see what needs to be done. Let me to share one last thought with you. All the way back in the book of Exodus, when God came to Moses, if you have read the story, you know that by the time you get to Exodus chapter 4, God has said to Moses, I want you to lead my children out of Egypt, out of captivity. I want you to set them free. And Moses said to the Lord, Lord, you've got the wrong person. I am not the right man. He was 80 years old. He grew up in Pharaoh's home, but he had spent 40 years out in the wilderness following sheep around. And there's a series of life events that got him to that place. And so Moses said to God, and you'll remember this, I am not the right person. And as you study Exodus chapter 4, you might even remember God saying to him, well, holy Moses, you're, you're absolutely right. I just hadn't thought that through the way I should have. Thank you for setting me straight on this issue, Moses. I, I will see what I can do to find somebody else because... You're not the right person. I am sorry for bothering you. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says God looked at Moses and said, no, you are the right person and I have everything that you need and I will give it to you when you need it. Because remember this, when God calls, he always equips. When God calls, he always equips. 
So whatever it is that he has called you to do, the gifts are already there. He gave them to you before you were ever born. And when you accepted the Holy Spirit, they were unleashed. So don't have the Lord look back at you and say, holy Moses, I'll stop.